Random Inks Productions presents a Credible Nerds podcast. The Credible Nerds present More Than Meets the Eye, a Transformers podcast. Autobots transform! <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to the Credible Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Justin, and I have my co-host with me, Kimball. Hey, everyone. How's it going? And today we're starting a new series based off the Transformers films. And we'll be starting with Bumblebee the movie, which came out in December of 2018. So this will be our first episode in this new Transformers series. We're thankful that you're here to join us and um, listen in on on our review of this film and kind of our insight on what we liked and how it ties into the rest of the franchise and we'll just go from here. So thanks for joining us here on the Transformers podcast. So just a little rundown of this film before we get started and get into it. So this film came out on December 21st, 2018 and it is directed by Travis Knight and this is his first live action film. Uh, Historically he's done a couple Uh, stop motion animated films like um, Kubo and the Two Strings, which got some good reviews that came out in 2016. Paranorman, which was an animated show, I believe. And I also think he worked on Caroline from a few years ago. Um, So he hasn't done much, but this is his first foray into live action and obviously the, the Transformers series. So it was written by Christina Hodson. The stars of this film are Haley Steinfeld as Charlie Watson. You may know her from her albums. She's a pop singer. She's been in a few other films as well. Uh, Jorge Lindenborg Jr. is Memo. John Cena, the wrestler, he is playing Agent Burns. Jason Drucker plays Otis, which is the younger brother. Pamela Adlon is Sally, the mother. Steven Schneider plays Ron, the, the father in this film. And those are the, the main players. And then obviously we got Bumblebee. And Bumblebee was voiced by Dylan O'Brien. And you may know him from the Maze Runner series. Then obviously we got a little bit of Optimus Prime, voiced again by Peter Cullen. Shatter was voiced by Angela Bassett. And he, Shatter is one of the main Decepticons in the film. Dropkick, another main Decepticon. Voiced by Justin Thoreau, which is interesting. And then Blitzwing had a few minutes in this film, voiced by David Sobolov. So it looks like to me, I don't know, these actors and actresses, they're not big top, you know, A letter actors and actresses that they picked. It seems like they kind of went with newer people, younger people. Um, they didn't really want to. I guess, have big stars in this film, whether that was on purpose or that was just how the cards fell. I don't know, but I think it made it good. I liked it. Yeah. I think when you start new with new actors, you kind of let go of all that baggage 
that you had with Shia LaBeouf. Uh, Mark Wahlberg, I wouldn't say he had baggage, but you know, he's, he has his backstory and you kind of have to fill in the blanks if you keep him around. I think there was some reasons that they deliberately started off fresh with these new actors. Also, I think it comes down to pay. You don't have to pay these new actors that aren't in as many films as you do a Mark Wahlberg or a Shia LaBeouf or Megan Fox. Yeah, this uh, this movie I think had a lot smaller of a budget than than the other five. And without Michael Michael Bay directing, you don't have these over the top effects, and you don't have to pay him a lot of money. So I think they were trying to save some money and see what they could do with a smaller budget. And I'd say they did pretty good compared comparatively with the money they. It, did, it wasn't the biggest blockbuster as the first trilogy and number four, but. Um, it made, I think the last numbers that I saw, it's just under half a, half a billion, around 480 million global, I believe somewhere around that number, which that's a decent amount for a global film. Yeah, that's pretty good. And they are, because of the, it did make that much money. They are looking at a sequel. They recently announced that. All right. I'm excited for that. Yeah. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later, like what would the sequel look like and where's it going to go and all that stuff. But it looks like they, they do have plans to continue this, uh, these smaller films in the Transformer franchise. So, and at the time of this review, uh, Bumblebee is considered a prequel to the 2007 Transformer films and sp- specifically the first film in the, of the franchise. And we'll get into that a little bit later as well how it fits, how it doesn't fit, what questions we have, just you know where it goes from the end of the film to the 2007 Transformers film. So it starts off this film, it starts off in Cybertron. You know, gets we're in the midst of the battle, the war of the Autobots and the Decepticons for Cybertron. Um, the Autobots are losing, Optimus Prime's there and a bunch of other Autobots and Optimus basically tells them they need to escape out into space. Because Cybertron's falling. Optimus sends, he talks to B and sends him to Earth. Says, hey, we found this new planet, Earth. I want you to go there, build a base, and we're ultimately going to go there and regroup. And at this point, Bumblebee's name is B-127. So he doesn't have the name Bumblebee yet. So he gets in the escape pod. A bunch of them get into the escape pods and some of them crash before they even leave Cybertron. But uh, B-127's escape pod, you know, is able to get out. The B-127's escape pod ends up crashing on Earth and it's in the middle of a Sector 7 training exercise. So if you remember Sector 7, they're from the original films and they were having this training exercise and they see him and they, they think he's an enemy, so they try to capture him. And while he's running from them, uh, Blitzwing, a Decepticon, shows up and they, they fight. We see how... Bumblebee loses his voice, which is pretty consistent with the earlier films where he couldn't talk. And so we have this segue that he could talk. He fights Blitzwing, loses his voice modulator, and then he can't talk throughout the rest of the film. And then that dovetails into the first Transformers in 2007. So for you, Kimball, what did you think about that throwback or was it important to know that he, how he lost his voice? And you know, what do you think about that whole scenario? 
Yeah, it's always uh, a question, you know, what happened to Bumblebee's voice? Why can't he? Why does he talk through the radio? They talked about it a bit. And um, I thought they mentioned it in the original trilogy, how he lost his voice, or at least they tried to repair it. But in this one, at least we can see, okay, he got his, we'll call it voice box, torn out of him by Blitzwing. And then once you see that, oh, yeah, now you know why he can't talk in the following films. So I thought that was a good segue, at least for this to be a prequel, we'll call it, because it does follow... um, it does follow up with the, the Transformers that came out in 2007 where we see Bumblebee 20 years in the future and he can't talk. Well, it's because of this fight with the Decepticon. I like that. I think it's good when they have consistency. Yeah, I agree. Um, so him and Blitzwing duel it out, but he de- ends up destroying Blitzwing. And before, but he's also um, wounded and his system is shutting down. He's losing power. And he's able to copy a yellow VW bug before his system shuts down entirely. So that's how we get the iconic yellow Volkswagen Beetle is in this moment. So then it kind of fades out and we're introduced to Charlie Watson, who's the main human of the film. Uh, She's got her own story. She's 17, living with her mom and stepdad, her little brother. Her birthday's coming up and she's this moody teenager who misses her dad. A pretty stereotypical teenage story as far as that goes, as far as her situation, which I didn't mind too much. I mean, it's relatable. We've seen that before. We don't have to spend too much time on character development because we know kind of where she's at in life. But spends a lot of time on Charlie and her story. And in my mind, it pretty much could have been called Charlie Watson instead of Bumblebee because uh, her she was just a much... Uh, main character as Bumblebee was. Did you think she had more development than Shia LaBeouf did? Mm, I think it's pretty similar in the, in the first film as maybe even a little bit more just because of how the director and the editors ended up presenting the film and their story to us. What do you think? Yeah, it seemed like uh, Michael Bay was wanting to focus more on the love interest between Shia LaBeouf and Megan Fox. Yeah. But then Travis Knight wanted to focus just on Charlie Watson and her. I mean, you see a little bit of a drama between her and her mom, which you get when there's like a single a single parent or if there was an early death, like her father had died. So she's kind of mad and blaming, blaming some people or maybe she's feeling guilty. She just has a, a bit of baggage. Yeah. Um, so I guess uh, the Travis Knight wanted to expound on that a bit yeah so it's because it's her birthday coming up she really wants a car and her mom's like no we don't have money for a car you're not getting a car and she wakes up on her birthday doesn't get a car and so she's mad but she goes to this a guy is the guy her uncle is that what i was kind of confused on the relationship but i don't think there was any i couldn't find a relation i thought it was like a family friend or something yeah. he seemed to be like a lot older yeah yeah, so he probably was just a family friend, but um, she he has a garage. She goes there. She discovers Bumblebee, and he's all dirty and rusty. And I kind of, well, I did get the impression that it'd been some time since he'd been there. Bumblebee crash-landed onto Earth in the year 1987, and I think this could be a few months, six months at least later. I mean, he was pretty beat up and rusted and broken. And there was a beehive 
in the engine too or in the trunk uh compartment yeah so i mean that's like a season you know a summer of just sitting there at least so it's been a few months since we last seen him i wish they would have explained that a little bit more like how long has he been sitting there yeah or how the car got towed to the junkyard that would have been nice to see some backstory because i think the vw bug was was it by a lake it was somewhere off in the woods whenever he did his uh mimicking and transformed into that car yeah, it's quite a, quite a distance away. I mean, if it's in California, uh, that looked like she was near the the ocean. The fight that he had with Blitzwing was in the mountains, like you said, mm-hmm. near the lake. So that's at least a couple hours away. But anyways, well, it seems like some time has passed since B's been sitting there. So she ends up talking this old guy into giving her the car. She takes it home and puts it in her garage as she's kind of working on him and fixing him up, cleaning him up. A bumblebee transforms and she finds out, hey, this is not just a Volkswagen Beetle. It's a robot. Um, she helps him. She kind of calms him down because like this part was kind of weird to me, but like he's scared of her. He, get, he backs into the corner. He's like, no, no, we're fr- we can be friends and I'm nice. And they end up developing a bond. So it's why would he be scared of her? That's what I don't get. He just got done fighting a Decepticon and then he sees a human and now he's backing down. Yeah. The only thing I can come up with is the humans were initially trying to capture him, but she's completely different than those other humans, like the army. She didn't have any weapons or anything. So I don't know. But it was a nice little moment for them. In this part, she ends up putting a new cassette player into Bumblebee. And that's how he learns to talk. So we see that uh, develop for the first time. So as they're making friends and becoming friends, um, we see that we go back to the Decepticons. Dropkick is that they intercepted B's signal. It was in the junkyard. Um, I, th- I thought that uh, Charlie had pushed a button on the radio. I remember it being in the junkyard. Okay. Yeah. She turned on the radio and it sent a signal. Because I don't think it happened from her house. Because I remember them panning out from the junkyard and seeing something go up in the sky. Yeah. So it sends a signal back to Optimus Prime. And the Decepticons drop, kick, and shatter, who are the main Decepticons. They intercept it. They're beaten up on another Autobot when they get the signal. So they leave immediately and come to Earth to try and find him. Because they're trying to track down Optimus Prime. And they think that if they capture B-127, he'll tell him where he is. Dropkick and Shatter meet up with Sector 7 first. I guess when they crash landed, they ended up killing some civilians. This is where we see Simmons, right? Because mm-hmm. they are able to track their descent into the atmosphere and they know that something's happened. So we see Simmons. He makes a cameo. He's a, he's a younger Simmons, different actor. He tells John Cena's character, hey, we've, we've got contact. So Sector 7 runs out there, meets up with Dropkick and Shatter. They, these two Decepticons trick Sector 7 into, hey, we're here to help. We're trying to track down a, a renegade. If you help us, we'll help you kind of thing. So they go back to the Hoover Dam to their base. I was just saying, and they help set up the internet. <laughs> yeah, I think that was a little too much. But the Decepticons teach them how to make the internet. And they access all the data that the military has. I was hoping that we'd see some some more of the base like we'd see megatron nbe1 is what they called him in the first in the 2007 transformers mm-hmm. but we didn't i think at some point in the script i read somewhere that they were looking at doing some sort of reveal there but it got cut and they didn't do it so, so maybe the bonus scenes in the dvd will have it yeah maybe it would be weird that 
the Decepticons have access to all their data, but yet they know nothing about Megatron and the the cube that's right there at the Hoover Dam. Yeah, so that's kind of where you see like a a hole between this prequel and the first Transformers. It's like, okay, well, there's a gap somewhere in here because yeah. the people in Sector 7, they act like they've never seen a Transformer before. Yeah. Even though in the first Transformers, they... We know that they had already found Megatron and he's just been frozen. Yeah, I think they decided not to include that just because it's it's just too much uh, juggling at that point. You know, we don't really want to know the ins and outs of all of all that works necessarily. I think they just want to get through it and move the story along. I, th- I was thinking they could explain it away in the sense that okay, only it's super top secret and only like 10 people know. It's not in their database. So no one, you know, that's how they didn't find out. I don't know. Or maybe they got other plans for uh, Megatron to come into the next film and introduce him another way. Because I guess if they're, if they're going to try to um, cover up all the holes and make everything flow exactly, then they're just kind of setting themselves up for the first Transformers. And, you know, what fun is that? So I think yeah. this is their way of trying to at least make a shift in the timeline, make like an alternate ending, but also somewhat keep the continuity. Yeah, we'll just have to see what happens there. Uh, so then we we find out that I think the Decepticons are able to locate in the general area where B is, where Bumblebee is. So they head out to go try and find him. Then we go back to Memo and Charlie. Memo is Charlie's neighbor, and they end up becoming friends. Memo walks in on Charlie and B, and he sees that, hey, there's this robot that Charlie has. So he's brought in on the secret. They hang out. They're getting into trouble, getting chased by the cop in their new car. And there's a, a part of this film where it focuses on Memo and Charlie and them becoming friends, which we really didn't see much of in the previous Transformer films. So I liked it. It was some good character development and you know, it was a, more of an emotional story that we didn't get previously. Mm, yeah, I was a little annoyed by Mimo's character, actually. I didn't really <laughs> like him for some reason. He was just... He acted weird and he was just nervous all the time and I don't know. But I guess at at the end of the movie, after seeing his development and um, him helping Charlie and V, I guess he, he won me over, we'll say. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I get what you're saying. He was kind of nerdy and which there's nothing wrong with that, but he was um, a little annoying at times. So then the Decepticons are able to track V down and capture him. They take him to this warehouse and interrogate him, but he can't talk. So the Decepticons don't realize that he can't talk. So they, they kill him and leave him for dead. And um, Charlie and Memo are able to find out where they took B. They come and get him and revive him, which this these things always, this trope always bothers me where the hero or an important character dies and, they, you know, they pound on their chest one last time and the person, or in this case, the robot comes back to life hmm. and everything's cool. Bumblebee's able to come back and be the hero once again. And I, this was kind of a stretch for me, but. I'd like to know how he can get his health back because he was like 5% health left or even 1%. Like it was super low, but then somehow he comes back and it's like he just regenerated or he's at full capacity. I mean, even at the beginning of the film, when he turned into the car, yeah, his health should have been drained, but like, you know, how's he recovering? Like, I'd like to know just a little bit, how did these Transformers, how do they replenish their life? Like, do they get it from the sun? Do they got to eat dirt? Do they got to drink motor oil? Like, I just want to know 
how how they're getting their their nutrients or how they're healing themselves especially in this scene like he just came back so quickly and then he's able to fight these two decepticons as if they didn't almost kill him yeah that's a good point so you you reminded me that in the beginning when just before he turned into the we actually didn't even see him turn into the volkswagen beetle we just saw his his energy his power running down to pretty much zero and then he closed his eyes and that's all we saw then a few minutes later we see him in the junkyard as a as a beetle we kind of assume that well yeah yes he did change here in this scene like you said how did he get his power back after he died you know small stuff but if you're noticing it while you're watching the film it takes you out of the film that's not a good thing yeah i don't think it's something at least they could make up and just give a short five second explanation like oh this is how you get your power back okay you know, something simple. I mean, I had the same questions in the other films, like Optimus Prime was always near death, and then somehow he could come back and kill Megatron every time, which I was I was okay with that because Optimus Prime is my favorite, but I still just <laughs> want to know, how was he able to get his strength back? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, what's the point of fighting if they just are able to come back alive or... You know, get their power regenerated. Sector 7 shows up to stop Bumblebee because they still think he's a bad guy. Charlie is able to escape with the help of... Well, Bumblebee and Charlie escape to go stop the Decepticons because they're going to this communication tower to send a message to the fellow Decepticons at Cybertron and let them know what's going on and to, and to come to Earth. Did they find out where Optimus Prime was at this point, or are they just coming to Earth to establish a base? I think it was a little bit of both. They're coming to Earth because they know that's where B was, and they're trying to kill off all the Autobots, but they also want to get Optimus Prime as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's part of their mission to let everybody else know. So then the film shift gears to, hey, we got to destroy this tower before the Decepticons send the message. And you got your classic bar where the signal strength is, is going up and they got to destroy the tower before the signal strength or the signal is completely uh, communicated. So Charlie and B show up and they start fighting Dropkick and Shatter. Charlie breaks off and goes to climb the tower while B keeps those two busy so she could destroy the, the communication part of it. Uh, B is able to fight Dropkick and, and defeats him, but then Agent Burns shows up he realizes at this point, well, so B and these other two are fighting, and these other two are pretty vicious. So he realizes that, you know, B must be the good guy. So B and Shatter fight as well. B defeats her. Charlie and B are reunited. Burns is there to let them know, hey, everything is cool, but you need to leave before the rest of my guys show up. They have success in their mission. Charlie and B kind of go off and talk a little bit more. She tells him to go complete his mission and that he needs to, to go do that while she stays behind. He ends up scanning a Camaro, and, which is the Camaro that we see, or pretty close to it if it's not the same model, the one we see at the beginning of the 2007 Transformers. I thought that was cool. I like that, that they yeah. did that. That, was, yeah, a that good, was good. Yeah, good way to transition into the first Transformers. Yeah. So then Charlie goes home and thanks her parents. Oh yeah, there's this whole, we didn't mention it, but there's this whole scene where the parents are helping Charlie and they did stepdad's driving this huge station wagon, distracting Sector 7. And so she goes home and tells him thanks for helping out. 
Memo's there again. They're they're still friends. And then there's this montage of Charlie fixing up her dad's Corvette that was in the garage as well. And there's a, a shot where she's driving it. The, one of the last scenes we see is that Optimus and B are on Earth and they're looking up into the night sky as more Autobots are arriving on Earth in that same type of comet entering the atmosphere that we saw in the first Transformers. Wait, Optimus is already on Earth? I thought he was coming. No, he was. it was those two. They were talking. Hmm. Okay. There were more coming. So these last few scenes, they seemed to, to me to kind of jump around a little bit. My first impression on the part where Optus, Optimus and B are on Earth watching the other Autobots arriving, that it was a time jump, that it was you know, several, several years later. But some people on the internet are saying it was, you know, like the next, it was pretty close in time to the rest of the story. Why do you think it was several years later? Uh, just because if they were trying to tie it into the first one, and the first one, that's when they, the rest of the Autobots come in 2007. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. So I guess it was me trying to match it to the existing film. Yeah. If they want to have that continuity, then it certainly should be several years later or 20 years later, actually. Yeah. Well, I don't know if they're doing that. I think since they're... I think if there wasn't going to be a sequel, yeah, we can assume that's probably what is going to happen. But since there is a sequel, I think they're just going to continue uh, the time. Probably early 90s might be the next setting of the film or very, very late 80s. I don't know if they're going to jump that much for this next film. Yeah. What do you think? Right now, I don't think they're going to jump too far ahead. But while I was watching it, I mean, there were several things that matched up or they were trying to match up with the original one in 2007. You know, you got Vo- B's voice box getting ripped out. You got Simmons from, you got Sector 7, first of all. Then you got mm-hmm. Simmons there, a small cameo. And then you got um, B turning into a, a Camaro at the end, which is pretty much the same one as we saw in 2007. Mm-hmm. So you got all these clues that kind of lead into, hey, this is a prequel. This is, you know, setting up 2007's Transformers. But then, you know, is it? Well, what was the point of all that? Yeah, I think if there wasn't going to be a second film, then if this, was, if this film wasn't successful, then it's like, oh, well, that was a good prequel. Okay. That's how I see it. Like, it's almost a way to cover their bases in case there's not a sequel of the prequel. <laughs> and if it ends up just being a prequel, then, you know, it, it's a good prequel. But they okay. have that flexibility now uh, to make an, a, a sequel and go in a different direction. Okay. So they're playing it safe, basically. That's what it seems like. Okay. So how much... So we got those um, those cues in the film that try to sync it up with the 2007 Transformers. Is there anything else that you saw or that you were thinking while you were watching it? Well, f- from when we saw The Last night, which was Transformers 5, um, there's a few continuity errors because we know that Bumblebee was on Earth during <laughs> World War II because he helped kill Hitler. Yeah. Um, and But this film shows him coming to Earth in 1987. But there's been some people talking on the internet that said maybe he went back to Cybertron to fight in the war. And that's another thing. Like, when does this war take place? Is it happening, like, currently now in 1987? Or was this years ago? Because... Then you find more continuity if you look back at the older Transformers. They talk about that war happening years ago. Yeah. 
is in all the Transformers films we've seen, there's always a war on Cybertron. It's been, so it seems like it's been going on for, for years, hundreds of years. Maybe it's just one big war. Or maybe there's multiple wars, but they're always fighting. <laughs> mm-hmm. so who knows? And how long does it take to get to Earth? Maybe he left, be left quite a while. It took, you know, 20 years to get to Earth in his escape pod. I mean, we don't know. And then Optimus took off at the end of part four, made it in part five, and came back. It seems like in that Transformers world, it probably just took a few weeks or months. Yeah. I keep thinking, is Cybertron, is that in the solar system? It's not by Saturn. Or am I mixing up with uh, Titan and the Avengers? Because that's where it's, that's by Saturn, right? Thanos yeah. is home? No, that's like Interstellar. Yeah, Interstellar too. <laughs> but Cybertron isn't, I mean, is that even in the same uh, solar system? Initially, it wasn't, but by the time we get to, is it Transformers 5? Mm-hmm. Well, they bring it in 3. They do the, they set up those, that time or that portal to transport Cybertron and it comes halfway and then it leaves. Yeah, you could see it in the sky. It was kind of like uh, the first Avengers almost. Yeah. So I think, but then in 5, it shows up in the solar system. I think it, it initially it wasn't, but it made its way there. Okay. It seems to be close enough that they can go back and forth pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a, as a first movie, whether it's a new franchise, a new series, or if it is just a prequel to what we already have, how do you think it does? Does it introduce enough of the mythology, the history, Transformers? Or does it do its job that way? Hmm. I think it does a pretty good job when you compare it with the other films. It's not silly. I was glad it wasn't crude. Yeah. Um, like those other ones were. Like that was a, a relief. Sometimes watching those other films, it almost makes you cringe because some of the stuff they left in there. Yeah. Uh, they didn't include much. I, I don't think they included much of the history because when you see the first Transformers, they talk about the, the all spark. They talk about a bunch of other things and yeah each each subsequent film has some history going back to cybertron or going back to ancient earth or even back to the dinosaurs but this one it shows a little bit of the cybertron war but then that and i think that's okay it doesn't have to expound on everything and i'm guessing the next film they're probably going to show us more history because it seems like movies tend to do that they like to do a, a time jump where they go back yeah, I think pretty much every one of the Transformers films shows like a history lesson. Yeah, mm-hmm. it seems to go back farther and farther <laughs> with each movie. Yeah, and so this one didn't go back too far, but it did show us. I think the Cybertron parts were pretty sweet. The war there, I mean, it wasn't too long, but I, I kind of want to see a, a Cybertron movie. So no, not not on Earth at all, but just on Cybertron? That would be It would be different, finally. Yeah. Well, maybe flip it so... Most of it's on Cybertron, and then there's yeah. a little bit on Earth. I, I like that. That would be good to see. All right. Um, so how did it do as a prequel with us already knowing? At least I think at the time they were intending it to be a, a direct prequel. And then by the time they were done with rewrites and filming, it was loosely connected. So how does it do as a prequel knowing the rest of the, the stories that we do know? Does it link with the rest of them fairly well? linked pretty well with it. Yeah. I was thinking the movie would focus more like on just Bumblebee and being like a standalone film, which it is, but 
it's also a prequel at the same time. When I first heard the announcement of this film, I thought it I thought it wouldn't tie into these other movies at all, but as far as it being a prequel, they did they did a pretty good job with it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And then we are, we're introduced to Charlie Watson, um, a new protagonist. Do we like her? Does she do a good job? Does she carry this film? What do you think? Yeah, definitely. She did. She did a good job. Uh, she wasn't eccentric. And I think her character was really different than Shia LaBeouf's character, which is what we needed. Because if it was similar to his, then that would have just been born. And, and you can't, it would have just been another remake of the yeah. same film. So I think they did a good job with her being more serious, kind of being more uh, protected and having some of that baggage from her past, from her parents and stuff like that. And plus they didn't turn it into a love, a love movie where the girl gets the guy at the end, like they did with uh, Transformers. Yeah. I really liked her too. I mean, it was a refreshing cause even with, with Mark Wahlberg, I liked him more than Shia LaBeouf. But even him, he kind of had that, you know, the talking fast and all over the place like Shia did. So it was a pretty similar character. He was just older. And with Charlie Watson, it was pretty much, like you said, different, completely different, a little more relatable. She was, you know, wasn't an action star. She had her issues, like you said, and it was refreshing. I thought she did carry the film. Like I said earlier, this film could have been called Charlie Watson just as much as it could have been called Bumblebee. The issue is, for me, is are they going to bring her back? Can they bring her back for the sequel? Why, why, would, why wouldn't they bring her back? I just think, well, the impression at the end of the film was like, okay, we'll see you later. Go, go do your mission. And he left. You know, Bumblebee left. So. Oh, I see. So she has that nice car. That, uh, car from her dad. I'm thinking they might turn that into a Transformer in the next film. Yeah. That could be something cool. I guess it's possible. They just need to track her down again and say, hey, we're back. Join us on this new adventure. Another thing is Sector 7. I didn't like Sector 7 in the first films, but, you know, it's a big part of it. Uh, But yeah, here it is again, Sector 7, continuing the mythology of of Sector 7 throughout all the films. Um, What do you think? Do you like Sector 7? Do they serve a purpose? Yeah, um, I like them better in this film than they were in the other one. The other films, they just seemed like, too secretive like not, not as realistic this one seemed more more of like a sector seven that you would imagine in real life would be yeah i can agree with that all right talked about cybertron how it connects to the rest of the films there was some uh, discrepancies there which in the initial transformers films it was kind of like cybertron was like a a hive honeycomb type stuff and this cybertron was was not it was different design some people picked up on that and said, oh, this, this isn't the same Cybertron, but Cybertron can change. I mean, it's a transformer and maybe it's a different part of Cybertron that we just haven't seen yet. Or I mean, so I, you can rationalize and explain that away, but ultimately it doesn't really matter to me what it looks like. Do you have any issues with Cybertron or thoughts on Cybertron? No, I just would like to see more of it. I think that would be cool. Yeah. Like what about, what, what did like the... The, the day-to-day Transformer citizens, how are they? Because I mean, you know, there's the Autobots and the Decepticons fighting, but what about the people who aren't on either of their teams or that are just kind of existing and living on Cybertron? Like, I want to see some of that. Yeah. Yeah. Does everyone have to be as a Decepticon or a Autobots or they have to fight? You know, what, what's that all about? Good point. And then 
Transformers on Earth. There always seems to be Transformers on Earth in Decepticons. Is there another place they could go? Or is it just Earth? I thought, didn't they say... No, I'm probably thinking of a different movie. I thought maybe they showed like different worlds that they could choose to live on or go to. And they chose Earth as one of them. So many dang superhero movies now it's hard to keep track of them but i thought there was something that maybe it was optimus telling b that we have this last outpost on earth is that, is that ringing a yeah. bell or am i off yeah it does i think they he talked about it in the beginning that's why he sent him to earth to make uh-huh. sure it's, it's good oh so, yeah yeah so where are those other outposts that's what i'd like to know like why just ult- what about the other ones yeah and they did send other uh, Transformers out to those other outposts because I think Dropkick and Shatter were they had captured one of the Autobots on one of these other outposts mm. were torturing him when they got mm-hmm. the signal from B. So oh yeah, that's right. Plus, it always seems like the Decepticons are on Earth. Like no one's ever seen Transformers, but they're always there. Mm. So Blitzkrieg, no Blitzwing, in the beginning when he fought with Bumblebee, did Blitzwing follow him? to earth or was he already on earth and was able to intercept him no i think he followed them on earth he like got there just after just after b did but he was a like an airplane like a jet fighter mm-hmm. from the beginning i wonder where they that that brings back when they're on cybertron the transformers were like their earth weren't they more like their earth in their earth form you mean like cars or planes yeah I thought I remember them in their walking human form, but yeah, yeah. yeah. How did how did Blitzwing turn into a plane if he just showed up? That's true. Yeah, well, they were in their um, robot form, but it was kind of like, if I remember correctly, Optimus had the windows on his chest. You know, they did have that Mm -hmm. that type of uh, exterior. I remember correctly. It's been a yeah. couple months that I've seen the film, but so I wonder how because that could explain that. I don't know what that explains actually. <laughs> that they had semi trucks and Cybertron. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, maybe they'd already been to Earth, all of them. But then why would they know? Yeah, I don't know. That doesn't make sense. Anyways, doesn't matter. You're getting too deep into it. I know. It's just a Transformers movie. <laughs> then Bumblebee. He has different iterations throughout all these films. And this one, he's B-127. He's been Bumblebee. And then, like you mentioned earlier, when he was fighting in World War II, he was ZB-7. So I don't think they can retcon that, the ZB-7 part. If they do, it'd be interesting how they do that, how they rewrite the history of that one. Because that's when you see Bumblebee as more ruthless and more of a killer than someone who's been portrayed as innocent in these films. Because that was a big difference. Out of all the Michael Bay films, I thought, you know, they kept getting a little more ridiculous with the history. It was always, oh, and then we went to the moon because of the Transformers. And, oh, King Arthur was fighting a Transformer dragon or with a Transformer dragon, right? It just kept getting more out there. Mm-hmm. But it, to tie it all together, it just seems a little convoluted. And I think that they're trying to get away from that with this film. Yeah, that's probably why they might not delve into the history as much as Michael Bay did on every single film, just because the ground starts to uh, fade away and you just kind of, you got nothing to stand on anymore after a while. Yeah. So overall, I like this film. Um, I'd give it a B. Entertaining. 
introduced us to some new stories, new backstories. Bumblebee, I've I've liked Bumblebee throughout the all the films, but he's not my favorite. Uh, I think if they would have had another Autobot, I don't know, he's just not that interesting because he can't talk. I think that's the struggle they have with this character is we don't really know what he's thinking a lot of the times unless he's acting a certain way, but I liked it. I kind of wish they would have chosen a different one, different Autobots, but overall I liked it. I liked uh, Charlie Watson. I thought she was a good character. Thought the Decepticons were a little forgettable. I had trouble. Like the first we have Blitzwing showing up and then you have, I think it's Dropkick. It was a little hard to differentiate him a little bit, but um, it's a good movie. I'm glad I saw it in the theaters. I'll get it when it comes out on video and watch it. I wish they would have done a little better job matching it up to the original films. And I'm curious to see where they take it in the future. If they just forget about the the future films, you know, the, the timeline, the 2007 and forward timeline, if they just forget about it and go in a completely direct different direction, or if they try to loosely connect it, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how that works. So I recommend going to see it if you haven't already or getting it on video when it comes out. But, um, what did you think overall of this film, Kimball? Overall, I thought it was uh, better than I expected. Um, just because Bumblebee is just focused on one Transformer and I like to see multiple Transformers but I thought he held his own I didn't think they did well with the Decepticons and making them memorable like I didn't even know their names throughout the whole film for one thing yeah like in the other films you always knew there was Megatron and uh, Starscream. So I thought they did better with the bad guys in the other films. And this one, it just wasn't as good for some reason. I mean, there was just three bad guys. Like, why didn't they send more? Or at least, yeah. at least build them up or tell a bit more of their story or something. I didn't, that one didn't uh, settle well with me. Yeah, but I get that. I like that it connected, that they did their best to connect it to the the first film, make it a decent prequel. But I also liked how they made it potentially another spinoff so that we can see it go in a different direction. Hope yeah. that we see more Optimus Prime next film, even though he's been the star in all of them. I like him a lot, and um, I want to see more of him, see how they can take his character, especially while Peter Cullen is still alive. We need to use his voice because I think he's like up there in the 90s, wow. 90 years old at least. Um, yeah, he's like Stan Lee practically. So. <laughs> I mean, once he goes, it's like that's his icon. That's Optimus Prime's iconic voice, and I don't want to lose that. Yeah, you need to get a couple more films with him. They can. So, would you recommend it to your friends or family? Yeah, I watched it with my friends um, opening week, and we had a great time. So, yeah, I think this is a definitely a lot more family appropriate than the other Transformers film because it was not crude. There weren't, you know, you couldn't see the Transformers balls for one thing, <laughs> like yeah. you could in part two. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, this one is a lot more uh, kid appropriate than the other ones. So yeah, good film. Go see it. Uh, next up, we'll be talking about episode two, which is Transformers, the 2007 version. And then we'll just go through the rest of them up through Transformers 5. And maybe by that time, they'll have announced the, the next film and 
we can start tracking that and hopefully talking about it here and there. But we want to thank you guys for joining us on this new Credible Nerd series of the Transformers. Uh, definitely follow us on social media. Reach out to us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, under Credible Nerds. You can also email us at CredibleNerds at gmail.com. Check out our website, CredibleNerds.com. Support us on Patreon. You can listen to our podcast episodes ad-free, no advertisements. And all of our episodes are found on Patreon.com slash TheCredibleNerds. So check us out there and support us there. We want to thank you guys for joining us and participating with us in this Transformers podcast. And we'll catch you next time. See ya.